Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Hallelujah. We have a just a great day today ahead of us. Can you say amen? How many believe God's going to speak to you today? Amen. Praise God. My prayer is today that God will uh, encourage you, that He will help you and instruct you, minister to you today. Amen. Wow. Sometimes it's really good just to take a moment and breathe. Amen. Just take a deep breath. It's okay. We're getting there. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to, first turn over to the book of John. John chapter 4, and hold your finger there. Uh, We will get to that here in a minute. And then go over to John uh, chapter 7. John chapter 7. We're going to look at John chapter 7 first, and then we'll go over to John chapter 4. Last Sunday, I began a short series uh, on reaching the lost. And so this morning, I want to continue with that. And my objective uh, last Sunday, which remains today, is I'm hoping that what I can do is ignite your passion for souls. Can you say amen? See, I've been in church long enough and been a Christian long enough to know that sometimes our passions can go cold a little bit. Sometimes we could get to a point. It, I, I think probably the best way I could describe it is is kind of like buyer's remorse. It's what we feel there. Has anybody? Have you ever bought a new car? Have you? You know, when you're when you're on that car lot, have you ever noticed that you get there and I think they put something, you know, in that new car smell. I think they have chemically altered that to hit our brains to where we believe that I've got to have that car today now. Because there is no other car on the planet. I will never have a new car. Uh, This is the only deal that can be found, and this is it. If I miss this, it's it forever. All hope is lost. Have you ever felt that? So what happens is you buy the car, you got a payment like, you know, $900 a month, and you're like, I don't care, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. Because every salesman says, hey, you don't have a payment in 30 days? It's 45 days out, as if the extra 15 days is going to make a difference anyway, because you're into an eight year or nine year loan at 10% interest and you're going, dear God, what did I do? But then after about a month of driving that car, you're looking at that car and it's like, this ain't that great a car. This is pretty basic. What was I thinking? And all of a sudden your passion for the car, or better yet, have you ever had this happen? You, you, you buy the new car and you spend, you, you, you really, really work at not allowing it to be scratched. You know, you're, 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 you're all the way out in the back 40 at Walmart, you know, and you're walking four miles so nobody parks around you. And, and you're the guy that parks sideways in, in parking stalls, you know, you have, and you're keeping, but then one day, one day, it's a windy day in Kingman. God forbid that there's windy days in Kingman. But there's a windy day and a cart bashes into your car and now there's a scratch. And it's like, well, all is lost. It's a pile of junk now. How That's called buyer's remorse. And I think sometimes Christians get that way with salvation and particularly with souls because what happens, we get saved and we're excited because we have this great and wonderful encounter with Jesus. He comes into our lives and he heals us and forgives us and, you know, that emotional and mental burden, he lifts it off us and we feel free and we're excited 
to be saved. And there's this natural thing inside us to go, man, everybody needs to know about this. And so we're passionate. We want to go and, and share the gospel with Jesus, uh, with, of Jesus with people. And we want to tell them what God's done for us. And we start seeing opportunities everywhere. Come on, that's what happens when we first get saved. And, and it's like, man, you, we, look at what you could do, man. We could do this, and we're excited. But then time passes, doesn't it? And then all of a sudden, our Christianity gets a, a little scratch here or there. Or all of a sudden, we bump into this or bump into that. And there's this natural thing, if we're not careful, all of a sudden, we start losing that passion. Because then church just, you know, it's like, yeah, I go to church. I go, you know, for about an hour on Sunday or so. If that's, as long as the preacher ain't long-winded. You know, we, you know, we get in and out real quick. And usually we get out quick enough to get a good seat at Chili's. And, you know, you kind of measure churches by how you get out so you could get to your favorite restaurant. You know, it's like, and so all of a sudden we kind of lose or forget what it's all about. And we lose our passion for souls, so my goal is, in this little series, is to ignite your heart again for evangelism and for the passion of souls, because I believe we need to be reminded often of our obligation to the Great Commission. Can you say amen? We need to be stirred up for what God has called us to do. We need to be reminded about the passion that we ought to have for the lost, and we need to ask ourselves... And we need to take a good look in the mirror and say, have I lost it or do I still have it? Because one man said this, I told you last week, we're, not, we're called to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. Amen? We're called to reach the lost, restore the broken, and release people into their destiny. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 Jesus is speaking, and these are some of his last words. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These are Jesus' words. These are, this is his passion. You know, the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save those that were lost. The Bible tells us that he's the one that will, will leave the 99 and go find the one. He, he's, he's the one that has this passion that says, you know what, I'm here to pay a ransom for many. I'm, I'm willing to offer my life as a ransom for many. Can you say amen? This is his passion. There's three words on our wall in the foyer that sum up the vision of this church, grace, hope, and transformation. And those words need to be more than decor de uh, decorations. Can you say amen? amen? Those words need to be what we're about. We are about being dispensers of grace, allowing people to feel the grace and the goodness of God, the love of God. We are about giving people hope so that they can be transformed, so the things that come against them, the things that they carry, the hurts, the, the wounds, the loss, the heartbreak, the brokenness, those things can be healed because our Jesus is a healer. Can you say amen? amen. That was last week, and I shared that with you. And then Sunday night, we did a men's, um, the Men of Valor, our men's discipleship, and I spoke to the men, and I gave them seven reasons why every Christian should be a soul winner. 
And I, I, I thought I would share it with all the women here today, and, 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 and some of the men weren't able to come, so I thought I would uh, uh, share that with you. And, and I just want to take just a minute to just run this through because there are very real reasons why every Christian should be a soul winner. The first one, and probably the most important one, is that Jesus commanded us to be soul winners. This is not an option. This is not a suggestion. This is not for those that are gifted or special. This is a command to the body of Christ that we are soul winners. The promises of God are given to us in such a way that encourages us to be soul winners. The Bible says by great and precious promises we become partakers of the divine nature. It is His nature that wins the loss. Can you say amen? It's His nature to be a God of salvation, of restoration. Number three, the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't empower us just to freak out people. The power of the Holy Spirit enables us to be soul winners, that we would be witnesses in all the earth. Can you say amen? We have been ordained as soul winners. The Bible says in the book of John that he chose us. You didn't choose me, he says. I chose you. Somehow we get this idea that we, you know, made a good choice somewhere. No, God chased you down when you weren't even looking for him. Can you say amen? amen. When you were in the gutter, lost and dirty and grum, gr grimy, God came along you and he found you and he restored you and he chose you and he ordained you to be a soul winner. Number five, the reason we need to be a soul winner is because of the desperate need of those that are lost. You don't have to go far. You don't have to go into Africa or the Philippines or Asia. You don't have to go into some foreign land to find people that are lost. You can go to any neighborhood in Kingman, Arizona and find people that are struggling. I don't care if it's a neighborhood that's questionable in the sense of it's, it, you look around and you say, well, this is, this is poor people. I guarantee you if you go into the prettiest neighborhoods of our city, you'll find people that need Jesus there too. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in or what kind of car you drive or what kind of clothes you wear or what kind of paycheck you have. You're, if you're lost, you're lost. And you need Jesus. And that desperate need exists right here in Kingman. Number six, there are opportunities all around us and they press us to be soul winners. And finally, the sacrifice of the cross. The cross constrains us to be soul winners. Jesus didn't die on the cross in vain. Can you say amen? And he called us to share the love that held him on that cross. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So this morning, I want to finish this little series with some practical ways that we, in everyday life, can be a soul winner. I want you to think about this because it's great to talk about this as a theory or even as a theology. But somewhere that theory and that theology has got to come off the pulpit. It's got to come into our hearts and affect us as we live our life. The Bible says this, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. It says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The literal translation of this is he said to them, as you go daily into the world, preach the gospel. 
That means as you go into your life, whether you go to school or you go to work or you go to a construction site or whether you go to a, you know, a doctor's office or whether it doesn't matter where you're at, a bank, a real estate agency, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, as you go into this life daily, into the world, preach the gospel. Speak to people about Jesus. And at first, we may look at this verse and we may think the Lord's command only applies to specific people groups or, or believers or, or that somehow we might, we, 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 a lot of people I think sometimes come to the conclusion that, that, that you have to have a special calling or qualification to be a soul winner. But let me assure you today, if you've received Jesus as Savior, then you're qualified to proclaim the gospel, period. All that's necessary is that we are redeemed by Jesus and have regenerated our lives with his. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 is a great example of this. As soon as she believed in Jesus and received him as that living water, she left her water pot and went into the city and told the people, she said, listen, come and see a man who told me all that I have done. Is this not the Christ? She didn't wait for some special qualification. She didn't wait for some special calling. She simply told people about the wonderful Jesus that she had met. And just like her, we can tell someone about the Jesus that we have met, what he has done in our lives. Now, I know for many today, this may seem very basic. You may be sitting here saying, well, I know this stuff. I know this is true. But you may even feel like it's a waste of time. But I tell you this morning, this is the heart of all that we do. This is the heart of God. This is at its core. Everything else besides this, everything surrounds this, everything orbits this. This this would be like in our solar system, everything orbits the sun. It surrounds the sun. This is the sun. This passion for soul, soul winning. Everything was given and everything is enjoyed because of this. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Every activity, every Bible study, Every church service, every gathering, everything is about soul winning. Years ago, I was at a conference. This would have been probably in the very early 90s. I think it was like 1992. I went to a conference. Kathy and I went to a conference in Portland, Oregon. And one of the guest speakers was a man by the name of E.V. Hill, and he was one of the featured speakers at that conference. And E.V. Hill was a great guy, man. I, I'm telling you, this dude, it, he, he, he had something going on. He pastored one of the first uh, mega churches in Los Angeles. Uh, back in the day, in the 80s, he probably had 10,000 people going to that church. But the thing that made him so impressive, the thing that made him so uh, good is that he was able to preach truth simply and make it profound. And he was able to connect, and he was a storyteller, and he would tell stories, and, and some of his stories have shaped my life. And this man, one day, as he's preaching in this conference, he's, he's talking about soul winning to pastors. And he begins to tell this story, and I know my wife will remember this. 
He tells a story about a friend of his who was a pastor in Texas that had a very large church, probably you know, 10 or 15,000 people. And one day he decided that he would call in all of his staff. He would call in all the staff and brought them in to a staff meeting, pastors, leaders, teachers, Sunday school helpers, maintenance uh, workers and cleaning staff, everyone, everyone that was on staff, probably about 300 in, in total. And he said, this church, he, he began the meeting by saying, this church is about soul winning. He says, we are first fishers of men before we are pastors and leaders and teachers and counselors and Sunday school helpers and maintenance workers or janitors. He says, we are fishers of men. Before the apostles were apostles, before they were disciples, Jesus called them fishers of men. And he goes on to say, he says, lately I've been looking at our nets and I don't see any fish. He says, I don't even see any minnows. And he says, from now on, we will no longer evaluate you on your job performance only. He says, but we will first see how you are as a soul winner. He says, I don't care what you do for this church or what you were hired for. You will first fulfill the command of the Lord and win souls. <laughs> I don't know if that would go over too well in most churches today. I don't even know if that would go over well in volunteer staff, let alone paid staff. But I think the point is, is that it's so easy to forget what we're really all about, even in the midst of our Christian service and activity. I know I have gotten cold at times. I shared with you last week the conviction that God brought to me. And I think we have to ask ourselves, am I passionate for souls? So this morning, I want to speak to you about the very practical, everyday ways that we can, in fact, be soul winners. So let's look at our text, and we're going to see what we can draw out of this. So John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, reading from the New American Standard, it says, The one who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he said in reference to the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now go over to John chapter 4 verses 10 through 14, from the New King James. He says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it, it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to, whoever, said to her, whoever drinks from this well will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, I think these two scriptures or these two passages are talking about something very powerful, and they 
are talking about the same thing. Because the first thing that we recognize is that there is something very interesting that happens into all believe, in all believers, is that because of our salvation, there is a flow of life that comes from God himself through us. And Jesus called it living water. In John chapter 7, he says it was a river of life. He says, out of your innermost being, out of your belly, the King James says, shall flow rivers of living water. There's something spiritual that flows through you because of salvation. And then Jesus takes that same picture, that same dynamic of water that's flowing through him because it is Jesus that's flowing through us, right? And he says, you know what? The water that I give, he says, it will quench your thirst. It'll quench your thirst. Not just for one day, but forever. It'll satisfy This living water will not only quench the thirst of the ones who need it the most, but it quenches the thirst of the one that drank it. And then they become dispensers of living water. We are literally a well. I don't know how many people are in this room, probably 140 people in this room. I can tell you right now that you are a well of living water. You are a well. And water is to flow out of you. That river of life is to flow out of you. The problem is, is when we grow cold and apathetic about souls, it dams up the water. It fills in the well. And although we can still appreciate and experience the the power of the water that exists in us, it won't flow out of us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the question that comes to my mind is how do we do that? How on a daily basis in the midst of everyday life, how do we allow that living water to flow out to others who long for a drink of something that is truly life-changing? Let me tell you something. If I learned anything in Jacob's Ladder, I learned this. Everybody's looking for an answer, even the ones that say they're not. (laughs) There's a lot of people going, nah, I don't care, I don't care. That's a smokescreen. They are desperately on the inside looking for an answer. They're looking for something real, something that will change their lives, something that will make the difference. So the question is, what does modern day soul winning look like? And so again this morning, I'm going to show you seven things. Now, I'm not hung up on, the, on seven. It's just the way it came out. So if you, if you see something in numerology there and you go, ooh, there's a special number, go for it, great. But that's not my point today. I'm certain there's way more than seven, okay? So I'm just going to show you seven. But there's seven things that you can do every day to be a dispenser of living water of the life of God. And the first one is pray. You say, what do you mean by that? Every day opportunities will present themselves where you can come along someone and ask them, can I pray for you? Now, I know a lot of people say, whoa, you're starting in the deep end. No, this is the shallow end. Because what I have found out in life is I found out this, most people like prayer, even the ones that don't think they like prayer. See, because you can walk up to somebody, you can walk up to a complete stranger in Walmart, and you can walk up and say, hey, you know, 
Um, I've, I just feel led of the Lord. God's put you on my heart. I feel like that, you know, there's some struggles in your life. And you know what? You can walk up to anybody on the planet and say there's struggles in your life and it's real. It's true. Because somebody's struggling with something. You don't even, it's not even accurate. It's just, it's just generalized. And you could say that, and, say, and then you could say to them, could I pray for you? And you will find more people will be open and accepting of prayer than people that will say no. You might have a few people that go, nah, don't bother with me. And that's okay. And you walk away. But more often than not, you will find people will say, yeah, not a problem. And then you know what you do? You don't have to, you don't have to do this big, long, uh, philosophically, theor- th- theologically correct prayer with every scripture. What you do is you just simply talk to God. Because you know what? Prayer doesn't take special skill. It doesn't take intensive training. Prayer takes a heart of compassion that reaches out to the Father in heaven, to someone that's struggling. Prayer is such an effective way to start a soul-winning process because most people don't even know what's going on because by the time you pray for them, once you finish, you, 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 you stop, you go, you know what, Father, we're here in Walmart, and Lord, this brother, this sister, I, I, I don't know what's going on in their life, but you know, God, I know they're struggling, and they could use some real help from you. Father, would you come right now and come alongside them? Would you help them and encourage them? And I thank you, Jesus. And that's it. And you know what, by that moment, you can then look at them and say, you know, I just want to tell you, you know, somebody prayed for me. And I'm going to tell you, you know what, God came in and he healed me, delivered me, set me free. And all of a sudden, because of that prayer, you're on the inside and you are beyond the wall and they're listening to your testimony. What a wonderful plan that is. The problem is, is let me, let me say this to you. There, there's a guy, um, a man said this. I, I believe it was Chris Volatin. He said these words. He said, he goes, the dogs of doom stand at the door of destiny. He said, well, what does that mean? See, fear will tell you you can't. Fear will tell you, no, what what are they going to think? They're going to think I'm crazy. They already think it. (laughs) Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. (laughs) Just go with that. You know, I'm going to be 56 next month, and I'm starting to enjoy the attention. That's what, I, that's what I think crazy people, it's like, you know what? I enjoy the attention, so what? I don't care. At one time, I, you know, it bothered me. What are all these people going to think? They're already thinking it. Go with it. You know, you know what happens is you neutralize the fear. You go, you know what? If they say no, walk away. It's not my problem, it's theirs. I, I, I offered. What are they going to think? Who cares what they think? What if, what, what, what if there's no answer? What if there is? What if God does a miracle? He said, well, what if nothing happens? Then at least you prayed for them. At least you opened a door. You got them thinking. See, what happens, though, is the devil comes in and he starts convincing us we can't do this. Or, or you know, that's what pastors do or that's what the special people do. I'm telling you, that's what Christians do. Prayer is not judgmental or condemning. Prayer demonstrates love, grace, mercy, compassion, and it gives hope. Being a soul winner brings us to a place where we must embrace the things that in themselves can be difficult, but when we do them, they have enormous impact. And sometimes it can seem like prayer is difficult, but it's not. It's not. It's just talking from the heart. Jesus calls us to love our enemies and to pray for those that persecute us. 
He tells us to forgive as God forgives. He says, don't judge, but love your neighbor as yourself. This is called the Christian flow. It's the living water. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And when we read the Bible, we see a compassion of Jesus. We see Jesus as compassionate, and he took great interest and concern in the needs of others. He extended justice and kindness and love to all that he encountered. He reached out to the desperate tax collector. He healed the lepers. He forgave the woman caught in the act of adultery. He healed the servant of the Roman centurion, and he extended his mercy to Gentiles. They were the heathen of the day, and he repeatedly demonstrated his compassion. See, I think the church has got so caught up in what it's against, it's forgot what it's for. And we're for souls. We're for people getting saved. But if we spend all our time worried about conspiracy theories and worried about how people are sinning, and that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus is the one that ate with sinners. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. We must go to your house. Look it up. It uses the word must. We must go to your house and have lunch today. Why? Because Jesus understood all the other tax collectors were coming. Because he was, the, he was kind of the head honcho tax collector, I think. And you know what? He came and he brought him in and Jesus had a captive audience. And then Zacchaeus says this wonderful thing. He says, you know what? Today, he says, everything that I've stolen, I'm going to give back four times. And there was a repentance of his heart because someone got accepted that day. And it was not Jesus that got accepted, it was Zacchaeus. Jesus accepted Zacchaeus for who he was, and it transformed his life. Problem is, church, we've gotten too judgmental. The goal, the target is sinners. Stomping on that nerve, ain't I? It's the target. And sinners are messy, but that's who Jesus loves. The woman caught in the act of adultery, he he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't list out, I'm certain Jesus could have listed all of the sins that she committed, but he doesn't. What does he do? He says, go and sin no more. Don't do that again. (laughs) The Roman centurion, he could have looked at him and said, you know what, bro? You, and it, you, you're, you're, you are the enemy. I don't even like you. But he admired him for his faith because he understood authority. Max Lucado in his book, Before Amen, says this, you're never more like Jesus than when you're praying for others. Number two, Encourage. See, we are to encourage those around us and help lift them up and get them back on track. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, out of the Loon Living Translation, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. That's the plan of God. See, that's that living water, isn't it? That's that that water that flows from him. 
He says, I comfort you, you go comfort others. Not with your comfort, with mine. So how do we, how do we genuinely comfort and encourage others who need Jesus? Sometimes it can be as simple as a smile. I'm always amazed. You know, I, I, I challenge you. Just take some time and go watch people. Go where people are congregated. Go to a mall. Go, go, go to Walmart. Go to Safeway. Wherever. I don't, just pick a place. And just watch people. I mean, and, and you know, some people have permanent frowns. And those are the Christians. Come on. Sometimes we, you know, you, you, when you're, you're in a place where you're being served, a, a waitress is serving you. So have, have you ever had a bad waitress? They're not bad inherently. They're having a bad day. You can turn that. You say, how do you do that? You, I, I've done it. We, I've done it in restaurants. Have a waitress, you know, throws the menu. Pick out what you want. It's like, whoa. And I'll stop her. I'll say, are you having a tough day? And she'll look at it and she'll go, yeah. i say, look, just chill. Just take a break right now. Customer's always right. You are taking my order. But that's what your manager sees. But what we're doing is just talking. You're taking a break. It's okay. Take a break. Just rest. You're doing a great job. You got a hard job and you're doing a great job. You know what? Just, just it's okay. Just rest. And I'm telling you. And then you, you could smile at them. I've smiled. You know, you, you get the check. Have you ever gotten, have you ever noticed you're impatient in line? And you get the checker. This is what she does. She's scanning. You got 5,000 things and she's going. You know, sometimes if you just smile at her. I have this happen to me all the time. I, have, I thank God for my wife. Because what I have to do is I have to take a deep breath. I have to smile first at my wife. Because she helps me to smile. Because I love her. And I go, it's okay. And I'll say to her out loud, it's okay. And then I'll turn to the checker and smile. Go, man, you're doing a great job. And it's amazing how... All of a sudden, she's, it's like, holy cow, something changed. What changed? Somebody took the time to appreciate her. And listen, church, that is living water. Listen to people. Listening is one of the most effective ways of communicating. The problem, you know what the problem with Christians is? We talk too much. God gave you two ears, one mouth. Listen is twice as much as you talk. Sometimes people just need to talk. They, they need to get it out. They need to, you know, and, and you know what, waitresses and checkers and other people and all that, they'll tell you their story. You'll be standing in line and somebody will turn around and, and just because the Spirit of God is on you, they'll start. They do that to me all the time. And I can resent counseling sessions in line or I can go, you know what, God, you're doing something right now. And listen. And then you acknowledge. You acknowledge the feelings. You go, you know what? Even if they're, you know, look at, let me, let me just show you the dramatic one, fear. How many know that fear can be real or it can be imagined? You know, if you're about ready to fall out of an airplane, that's real fear. 
Or if there's a train bearing down on you and you can't get off the tracks, that's real fear. But you know what? If you're, if you're looking at a tiny, little, tiny, infinitesimally small bug and you're running calling your wife, it's irrational. But to what other, whether it's real or irrational, real or imagined, it's affecting the person the same. And it's real to them. What we want to do is we want to get in and define the fear. So somewhere along the line, what we need to do is just go, yeah, it's real. But there's a way out of it. And you listen, you acknowledge, and, and you lift them up, and you go, you, you know what? You are legitimate. And God has an answer for you. God has an answer. He, God will give you power over that fear, real or imagined. God will deliver you of that. God will give you security. And it's all because you acknowledged. Then what you do is you praise their efforts, their progress, no matter how small. You know, one of the things I think AA does really well is they acknowledge the progress you know, I don't know what the exact chips are, but I know they got like, you know, week-long chips, two weeks, three weeks, one month, six months, a year, whatever it is, whatever the chip is. But what they're doing is they're acknowledging and honoring the progress. They're going, you know what, you're doing awesome. Keep going. And then we celebrate them. Celebrate them. Honor them. Go, oh, man, you're awesome. You're awesome. That's how we encourage that's pouring out living water, and you will see more change in that than you can imagine. Number three, speak a word. This is where we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because a timely word can change everything. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. In other words, a, 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 the right word at the right time can change a life. Sometimes what they need is a kind word. Sometimes what they need is a prophetic word word. Can you say amen? Sometimes they need something where it's God that comes on the scene and just says, you know what? I love you. They need a word. They need a word from God. Number four, witness and testify. See, there is great power in your story, your testimony. So why is that? Because it has authority. You were there. No one can take away what you've experienced. It communicates on a level that people can relate to. It's life-oriented. It doesn't come off like you're preaching. It's generally, testimonies aren't theological in nature. It's like this, once I was blind, but now I see. I can't explain how, I don't know why, I don't know the theology about it. All I know is I couldn't see, but now Jesus came into my life and I could see. Amen. I don't know about all that other stuff, but I know that Jesus did something for me and people need to hear that. It's natural, it's simple. It doesn't require learning or memorization because you were there. And it can be shared anytime in any place because your personal testimony is portable. This pulpit, not portable. It's here for here. But your testimony goes, where, goes wherever you go. And you could speak a word. First Peter 3.15 says this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Meaning, with gentle strength and respect, 
You share. You go, you know what? This is what God did for me, man. See, anyone in this room, any of these, the, us up to this point, can do these things. Number five, challenge. We're to challenge others to be a better life. I didn't say condemn. I said challenge. What we do is we look into other people's lives and we say, look, you can have more. You're better. There's more for you. God has more for you. God wants to satisfy your life. Sometimes we do it by declaring the word of God over their lives. Sometimes we, we do it by declaring someone's potential, declaring a blessing or favor or speaking gracious words over them. It doesn't have to be weird or aggressive, but it can be sensitive and powerful. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Declaring God's promise. You're going to make it. You're going to overcome this. This is going to be great in your life. God has a plan for you. Challenging them. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruit. We have this natural God-given ability as Christians to change the world around us through the way we speak. We could change environments by the way we speak. We could change a person's demeanor by the way we speak. We could give hope or we could give death. We could give life or we can tear down by the way we speak. Number six, instruct. And this, this is probably one of the ones that stands out for me because this is something that God did in me all the way back in needles. This was a, a verse of Scripture that God really, really began to work on me. He says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse four, uh, 24 through 26. It says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. And there's a whole sermon in that. I'm going to say it again. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, must not argue and fight, but be gentle to just a few people they like. No, no, it didn't say that. It says be gentle to all. Then listen, able to teach, patient, in humility, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps would grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This first phrase right here, patient, apt to teach. Patient. See, not everybody's at the level you're at. Not everybody sees what you see. Not everybody has the gifting that you have. See, this is the thing that always amazes me about, uh, about people. We're always trying to make people, we, we, we value and we underscore individuality until it comes to this, and then we want to make everybody like us. See, there's God, God loves variety. God, the Bible says this, and God gives gifts to men. He calls some men to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some teachers, and some pastors. There's a big difference between an apostle and a prophet. There's a big difference between a pastor and an evangelist. Really big. And if we made everybody an evangelist, if we, if we made everybody the eyeball, where would the smelling be? If everybody was a nose, where would the hearing be? I guarantee you the nose and the ear, there's never going to be a time where you go, I smelt that with my ears. <laughs> nope. Or I heard that with my nose. 
If, if you do, you need to quickly go to a doctor <laughs> or get on the circuit so you can make a lot of money with it, one of the two. The reality is we're all different. The problem is, is what we tend to do is devalue what is not us and then try to change what is not us into us rather than teaching the gospel and letting God sort out in people's lives what they are. Be patient, apt to teach. Number seven, and Jason could come, is we need to invite people to church. I don't think there's a greater way or a more effective way than to get people saved than to bring them into an environment that is filled with the presence of God. Getting them around other people who have experienced the power, the goodness, and the grace of God to where they know that they are not alone. Sometimes I think that just once again, like I say, it's not that we're bad people or that, that we're evil or anything like that. I, I think what happens is we just get busy. We get busy and we forget. We just forget. And so what happens is we, you know, church, church it's like today's Monday. I'm, what do I worry about church for? That's not until next Sunday. And we got, I got a week. And so somewhere along the line, what happens is that becomes a lesser of a priority and we don't think about it. It's not, like I say, not because we're bad. It's just, a, it's just a natural thing. That's why we have to be deliberate. We have to remind ourselves. And we invite people and say, hey, you know what? Come on. Come on, man. I'm going I'm to take you to a place where they'll help you. They'll encourage you. And then, then when they get here, we that are here, we that are here, need to rally around them. Love them. We need to be spiritual mothers and fathers. And sometimes it will be difficult. Sometimes they will be people like, wow, hmm, that's different. But if you'll be faithful to God, God will actually give you the wisdom to be able to deal with that person and help them. And who knows, maybe, maybe your uh, 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 participation in that person might only be for one day. There might be somebody else that comes, but is if we as a church will love people, Go look for ones that you don't know. Go look for ones that you haven't seen before and say, you know what, you might find that, that there's somebody there will end up being your best friend. They might find that, you might find that God actually is going to do a work in you too. So in closing, all of this this morning leads to soul winning. And it's all part of soul winning. And listen, one of the most natural things a Christian can do is share the gospel. It's what we were created for. Think about it for a moment, <clears throat> just as a moment as I close. Why am I here? Why are you here? You know, the original plan of God with Adam and Eve was to have children that he could have relationship with. And now that we've been saved, we have, relationship has been restored. We are now in relationship, right relationship with the Father in heaven. So why does he leave us here? Some would say, well, because, you know what, God, you know, you got to grow. You, you know, you got you to gotta get ready for heaven. No, no, no. God could take you to heaven right now and go, boom, you're done. Some say, well, we got to find out if you could really make it. We got to try you. Wow, that's cruelty, man. I'm going to teach you to swim and then throw you in the middle of the ocean and see if you can. That's not the heart of God. So why does he keep us? Why does he keep us here? Because God chose in the eons past 
to co-mission, co-partner mission with you and I. That he would win the world, that he would overcome the works of the devil through his children. God, look at God's not in a competition with the devil. There is not a war. God won. The devil says, "I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna exalt myself on the side, all that stuff." And God said, "No, you're not." And wham, like lightning out of heaven, he was done. It wasn't, it wasn't even a second thought. It was a nanosecond, if you can even measure that. God was decisive and quick, and it was done. There's no war going on. There's no competition. It's not heaven against hell. It's heaven. Period. So what God decided to do, he says, look, I could have solved this problem. I could solve the sin problem. I could have just went like that, and things would have been done, and it's over. It's brand new. But he goes, what I'm going to do here, I got a great idea. The devil, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to beat up on him on my own. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my family, and I'm going to impart myself into my children. I'm going to gift them, and I'm going to show them my word, and I'm going to show them how to operate like I operate, and my kids are going to beat him up. (laughs) Think about it. It's like me going, you know what, little Owen or little Wyatt, I'm going to take you out. (laughs) That's what God does, and he leaves us here. Why? Because the original command, what was the original command? What, was, what did God tell humanity in the beginning? Have dominion, be fruitful and multiply. Same commands today. Have dominion, overcome the devil, and multiply. Sheep beget sheep. That's why we're here. Jesus came, why? To overcome the works of darkness. So we're here. What are we here for? We're here to have dominion and to get more sheep in the kingdom. That's what this is about. That's why all of this, see, all of the other stuff rotate around this. All this other stuff, all the stuff we, and I'm not saying all that other stuff's bad or even lesser important. I'm just simply saying this is dead center. This is what God's about, and all that other stuff helps to accomplish this. Are you hearing? And so today what we need to do is we need to ask ourselves, am I doing the work of the Lord? Am I a soul winner? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul's dealing with a very immature church. The Corinthian church was extremely immature, and they're arguing. They're, they're getting so basic that what they're doing is going, well, I'm of Apollos. And the other one goes, well, I'm of Paul. Paul got me saved, and well, Apollos got me saved, and I'm more important to you because I'm a you know, Paul's disciple. Well, I, I'm better than you because I'm Apollos' disciple. And Paul comes on and he goes, this is great. I love it. He goes, I, I, he goes, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made the increase. He goes, I, and then if you, if you continue like seven and eight, he goes, that means me and Apollos don't mean nothing. And what he's saying is he says, one plants, one waters, but God is the one that gives the increase. And so today our job is to plant and to water, to be the soul winners. Our job is not results. Our job is to do what God's called us to do, that we would have a passion that would sow the seed of the gospel into their heart and then nurture and water it that God may increase it and so that the calling of God may be done in our lives. Can you say amen to that? And so if you would bow your heads with me just for a moment. What I want to do today is, is I just want to challenge you to, 
to be a soul winner. I want to pray over you, and I, I, I want to pray and over everyone. I, you know, I, I would ask for a show of hands, but the thing that I know and understand is that every hand should be raised. So I'm not going to let you raise hands. I'm just going to pray over you because everyone needs this. And so right now, Father, I just pray that you would breathe on your people. God, that you would cause that spark, that, 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 that smoldering wick, God, to come alive in flame again. Lord, that you would reintroduce into us a passion for souls and evangelism. Lord, that we would be hungry to see lives changed by your power. God, that we would truly be the dispensers of living water. Lord, that we would allow that river of living water to flow out of our innermost being, that power of the Holy Spirit to touch lives. Breathe right now. God, upon this congregation, everyone who is a part of this congregation, Father, I pray, cause them to be soul winners in the kingdom of God. Lord, people that with even a simple smile, God would change the lives of other people. Father, that we, God, would pour out the goodness and the grace of God on Kingman, Arizona. And Father, we're thankful for it right now in Jesus' name. And every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And if you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I've listened to those words, but I don't even know if I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if I've allowed the Lord to come in and to be my Lord and Savior, but I want to. If that's you, would you lift up your hand all across this place? I need Jesus as my Savior. Maybe at one time you walked with God and talked with him, but today you find, find yourself disconnected and out of relationship, but you want to come back to him. Would you lift your hand up? Amen. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. You know what? This morning what I want to do is, is just pray. Would you pray this prayer with me? And, and if you're joining us online, would you pray this prayer as well? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins that you be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life, and I receive yours in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, our, I'm going to ask our ministry team to come. Just stay seated. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come. Now if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or the 101st time, it don't matter. It's the greatest thing you've ever done. What I want you to do if you prayed that prayer, whether it was rededication or salvation, I want you to come up front and let these pray with you. Or today, if you have a need of any kind, a healing need, provision, whatever, direction, deliverance, let them pray for you. And if you're joining us online, let us know if you got saved. If you gave your life to Jesus, put a comment in the comment section. Say, hey, I just gave my life to Jesus, and we'll, we'll connect with you and see what God will do in your life. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place? We're going to let you go today. God bless you. You guys have a great and wonderful afternoon. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.